This is a Broad Pods production. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Can you hear me? I can't hear you, Joe. You can hear me. Oh my god. Oh now I can. Now I can. Now I can. Hello. Hello. What a start to the day. Uh, you can hear me. We're together here I everyone. Can. I'm very happy you're joining me in this conversation. And it's delightful to see you on Broad Radio. And oh, hear you. I'm so happy to be here, Joe. There's so much going on and um, you know what? else would we rather be doing on our Tuesday morning? That's exactly right. So today on the show, we're going to be joined by Miff Warhurst, who of course is TV presenter, radio broadcaster, and one of our favourite, I think, would you say media personalities? Is that how you describe her? Absolutely. Yes. Just an energiser bunny, I think. (laughs) She really is. And she's one of the many women that uh, we've invited on Broad Radio, really just so that we could be best friends with them. Exactly. That's right. This is a very (laughs) elaborate plan for me to really just broaden my friendship circle. <laughs> so we can't wait for Miff to join us in a little while. And later on in the show, we're going to be meeting Dr. Lana Cormie, who has campaigned tirelessly for workplace safety since her husband, Charlie Hawkins, was killed at work. She's an extraordinary woman with enormous courage, making a difference for so many people. So into the show, before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. If you're watching on YouTube, it'd be awesome if you could like and subscribe. That would help us a lot. And also if you're watching on Facebook, like and follow us that would be a huge help Um, we love it when you comment if you're watching do share your thoughts on the show as we go along and you can always catch up later via podcast wherever you get your podcasts with broad radio on the go all of our episodes are released that way we love it when you join us with our more to say survey this is our weekly poll it's just one question most recently our question was with regards to comfort food and uh, (laughs) so Bianca we asked where do you go do you go salty treats Sweet Tooth Vibes, Sunday Roast, Childhood Throwbacks. 5% said clean eating. Now I can't believe that. <laughs> who would go to clean eating when, you, when you're looking for comfort? Um, or do you know what? <laughs> to be honest, I like to think that I eat quite well, but when it, ter- when it comes to comfort and when you just emotions are going crazy, you need to just eat something, it's not 
clean food for me <laughs> at all. It's actually a lot of sugar for me. Yeah. Oh, I go to salty tweets. Hot, in fact, hot chips. I, really? I, I dived yeah, okay. into basically a giant vat of hot chips over the weekend. And geez, I was comforted <laughs> by that. <laughs> Did you feel so much better for it? <laughs> oh, it was great. And my new thing is not to feel guilty anymore. Bianca, it's an absolute mm. revelation to me. I've never been able to do that. So as in, would you always feel like if you ate something like that, you'd have to then double the amount of exercise that you did to counteract yeah. it? I'd be doing deals with myself. I went for a run this morning, so then I can, I can have the hot chips now, all that kind of stuff. And now I'm just like... I'm with you. Life's yeah. too short. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that's one of the hardest things that every person out there would feel is that real guilt that we put on ourselves when we have that chocolate or have those chips. Mm, yeah. How did you How did you get through that, actually? What's the tip that you can give us um, all? I, um, well, I'm, I'm in my late 40s and I just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally what's happened. I just think it's a, a, just time passes and you stop being mean to yourself, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, well, there's a good lesson in that, being kind to ourselves. Absolutely. So this week's poll I'm absolutely loving because uh, people are mad about Kate Wisland in uh, Mayor of Easttown at the moment. So this week we're asking this question. Um, who is your favourite lady detective? We've got Kate Winslet in there as mayor, but then you've got Gillie Anderson as Ancient Scully. We've got that beautiful series, Unbelievable, with Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver as well. She's incredible in that. It goes on and on. Who would you choose there, B? <laughs> you know what? I feel really bad about this. I'm not seeing any of these shows. Are you joking? I keep. I know it probably shows what ridiculous taste in TV I have, but I've not seen any of them. I obviously know a lot of the women that were mentioned, but I can't believe it. I really need to uh, branch out my TV watching. Hang on a second. You've not seen Fargo the movie? Never. Oh my gosh, you must. It's so great. <laughs> It's so Okay, I'm going to do it. Frances McDormand, <laughs> it's one of the most uh, beautifully quirky, hilarious. Oh, God, you must. Okay, we'll move on if you haven't seen it. But do vote. Do vote. <laughs> Who would you it. pick, Joe? Oh, out of that list, I would choose, oh, I would choose Frances McDormand in, in Fargo. She's just okay. extraordinary. And she's enormously pregnant all the way through, which is <laughs> it's somehow very entertaining. But make sure that you do vote because you go in the running for a $100 voucher to Charlie's Fine Food Company. And uh, it's basically a choose your own adventure for all the most beautiful, delicious cookies you can get your hands on. And we're loving the cheese bites in this particular, in, our, in broad radio, we're loving cheese bites at the moment because I'm a savoury girl. So... <laughs> Now, um, Bianca, we were to be speaking to Nicole Livingston this morning, but she's now not available. We were going to be speaking about the Australian swimming trials. But um, I wanted to ask you, B, because there's been quite a lot of conversation around some suggestions that uh, swimming has got a toxic culture. This has been uh, firstly released when uh, the swimmer Maddie Groves, she dropped some pretty explosive tweets and um, messages on Instagram around the way she felt she was treated when she, you know, within the swimming world. And since then, there's also been this report released by Dr. Jenny McMahon after 14 years of research. She's a, she's a former swimmer. Um, she's been researching the culture and has released this report that just outlines some horrific uh, treatment of our swimmers, largely around body, your body shape and your body fitness, I guess. Um, have you seen uh, these stories and what are your thoughts, Bea? 
Yeah, it's. It, I've seen so much of it, and I've been reading a lot of it over the weekend. And and you know, these are these are the recent ones that we've we've heard of. But you know, I remember athletes like Liesl Jones, and she even wrote it in her book. She spoke about a lot of this going on, and a lot of the issues she had with her own body image and with eating disorders and her own mental health because of the pressures that were put on her as such a young athlete. She went to her, her first Olympics as a fifteen-year-old, and you can only imagine what it would be like, you know, as an athlete myself but as a I guess a netballer I felt the pressures about changing my body and what it was going to be like at the minute you know I stepped out into the elite world so as a 16 year old when I started playing at the elite um, level it was about you know okay now you've got to be in the gym now you've got to do strength and conditioning as part of your program and your body's going to change and you're going to get muscles and as a young girl all you think about is the muscles being, oh, I don't want to be masculine. I don't want to look like a man. Like I want to still look like a female. But as you get a bit older, you start to realize how the difference in your body and what it does for your performance. And it's not about how you look as such. It's about how your body performs. And so sometimes that means you do have to have a a whole different change in body shape. And for swimmers particularly, I mean, I am not a swimmer, so I can only just relate to them in some ways. But for swimming, it's an individual sport. And so you go through a lot of this without the support of your teammates. And also I think the biggest and hardest thing for swimmers is their bodies change. Think about what a swimmer's body looks like. It changes significantly and drastically when they're young and start training the amount of hours that they do. So I can only imagine as a young girl changing, you know, your body to become a performer in the pool. It would be really hard to get your head around that. Then on top of that, if there is all of, if these are true, all the reports about the bullying and the fat shaming and the comments on the pool side, it's just, I can't imagine being able to cope with all of that as well as the physical pressure that you're under just to perform well, just to keep that, you know, achieving. And that's what you do as an athlete. You get so blindsided because you're so competitive. You just want to keep achieving and keep achieving, keep reaching goal and make a comm games and make an Olympics. And you often are doing that in isolation. Um, It's not, you know, parents wouldn't be around at training sessions all the time. They wouldn't get to see everything that's happening. Um, So it's really sad, I think, but I think it needs to be something that's spoken about a lot. And Swimming Australia really do need to do this investigation properly. Um, And if anything, it probably should be an independent investigation and not necessarily Swimming Australia coordinating it themselves, I believe anyway. Well, they have said that, that their board meeting this week is going to be used to establish an independent panel of women um, who will investigate that. So let's hope that's exactly what happens. But I, I just wonder, how can you possibly be an elite athlete and be aware of what your body needs to be to achieve whatever goals that is and not have a sense of... Uh, inadequacy at the very least I mean how can those conversations how can those conversations happen without you comparing yourself to this ideal and feeling like you, you fall short it's not possible is it yeah no it's not and and what we learn very quickly as athletes is it's there's the person and then there's the player or as a netballer you're a player and the feedback you're getting whether you're getting critiqued about your skin folds which is when they test how much muscle to fat you have on oh, your body God, I couldn't imagine whether you, <laughs> you're getting on the scales to like test the amount you know your hydration levels before and after a game before and after a training and so when people are critiquing you often it's sports scientists or it might be nutritionists that are around you and they are just telling you as a player what you need to do to be better they're not actually 
really giving you that feedback as a person. And Bianca, this is how you're going to cope with this. And here's some, here's some of the emotional coping skills that you might need to be able to take on that feedback. You just have to learn that along the way. And to be honest, I'm happy to admit, I've not stepped on the scales since I retired from netball because it just did my head in the mm. constant analyzing when I was an athlete. And I was just like, I don't care anymore. If I feel good, that's the most important thing to me. But it took me a long time to get to that point. Um, so yeah, I can only imagine how tough it is for swimmers to go through and, and other individual athletes as well. Well, all elite athletes, I think it's extraordinary what they go through for basically the hopes of a country. I mean, you know, Australia, we expect so much performance from our swimmers, particularly when they go to the Olympic Games, which always feels really unfair because obviously they're trying the hardest and to have that pressure, I can't even imagine what that's like. And honestly, I always return to this, Bianca, I'm grateful that I'm average because (laughs) (laughs) there's no no pressure on me to perform. No no one gives a shit shit what I look like. Hence, I dived into a vat of hot chips over the weekend. Who cares? Doesn't matter. You can have your salty (laughs) treats. Hey, so before we get to our first guest today, who I'm super excited to welcome to the show, I did just want to acknowledge over the weekend, in fact, yesterday, the big freeze was on, which was raising money for uh, Fight MND. And um, it just allows me to share this photo of you, Bianca, when you went down the slide on the big freeze a couple of years ago as Ariel. How divine are you, you little mermaid? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was one of the most amazing experiences and not amazing going in the cold, but amazing to be around Neil himself and the Danaher family and everything that they're doing it's just it's just such an emotional time um and and choosing your outfit to be honest is quite uh, stressful as well because you know that everyone's going to be critiquing what you wear and you have to have a bit of a story behind it um but loved it and I thought yesterday it was uh amazing seeing them all go down and Gillam Glockland was the standout for me going as meatloaf and everyone bags him out forever for that choice of getting meatloaf to the AFL grand final it was the best so anyway congratulations on everybody who's involved there and the millions of dollars that was was raised for fighting MND. What an amazing thing. All right, let's welcome our first guest. She has not gone down the slide in the big freeze. Maybe that's one of her next big things. She's done just about (laughs) everything else. And we're so thrilled to welcome one of Australia's most loved broadcasters, Miff Warhurst. Hi there, Miff. Oh, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bianca. Lovely to see you. Oh, gorgeous to see you on the screen, which is sort of how you tend to have had to work over the last 12 months is kind of through this virtual world, including Eurovision. What was it like to have to bring that to life from the other side of the world? Well, we well we couldn't go this year, obviously. Joel Creasy and I, it's, it's our favourite job of the year because we get to work together and watch a music competition that's just absolutely bonkers really <laughs> everything turned up to 11 hair wind machines all of that and um sadly we couldn't go this year but um and that was a given anyway we didn't even get to do eurovision last year so it was just nice to be able to do it although i've got to say getting up at 3 a.m for 5 a.m starts nah too old too old <laughs> <laughs> oh miff i would love to know does it sometimes fascinate you with you know how much australia is fascinated by eurovision the fact that we all are so obsessed by it when it's on. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and I think because it's been broadcast on SBS for so long, over 30 years, and initially think about those times when it was pre-internet times and it was a way for, for many families that had come from somewhere else in Europe perhaps 
to connect with families at home. And I think that really started the love of it. And then it's extended now to to everyone else who just loves the, the just the craziness of the whole thing. I think. <laughs> it is so over the top. And you, oh. you and Creasy do the most beautiful job oh. with what I find is great affection with a good, you know, amount of tongue in cheek as well, which is quite a balance, I reckon there what is do you find that challenging sometimes (laughs) sometimes because and and also it's it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome thing too you start to think everything's really good because you that's all you've been listening to the whole time and then you take a step back and go oh my god what was that (laughs) he's standing on a ladder in a small room wearing a horse head and riding on a chalkboard and that's part of one of the songs you're like what has happened to me <laughs> how much how much background do you get on the performers like do you have a huge amount on them when they're walking out there and do you kind of get a bit of a idea of what they're going to do when they first walk out on stage oh yeah these days with the internet you know you can pretty much watch rehearsals if you like it's 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 less of a secret than it was um and you get all the info on the artists as well but generally 75 percent of them come through the singing competitions like the voice or those kind of shows so they're they're usually you know really really living for this moment you know this is this is their their moment and i think you know in terms of exposure in Europe, it's huge for them and for the Australian artists that go now. Uh, they, they they kind of recoup whether, whether or not the competition or their fame from the competition continues. They get loads of streams. It's it's actually really great for them as artists and most of them aren't really, you know, the, the biggest artists in the country. So it's a real stepping stone for them. Miff, I do love how supportive you are of the music industry. And yesterday you hosted a beautiful six hour, it was like kind of a virtual live music festival. Um, yeah. It was called the Good Lot, what was it called? The Good, the Long Weekender. Long of course weekender. We, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you did that from your house. I mean, how <laughs> delightful to be able to do that from home. Um, but I just, your, your support of the music industry is really amazing. Oh, thanks, Joe. It's um, well, you know, it's the industry that I I've worked in for the last twenty years. Like, like you know, with sport and and all of those things, you beca- it becomes so much part of your life. And I think the last year has made it really, really difficult for um, creative people, uh, artists, comedians, musicians, all of them. It's been really tough, you know, mentally tough as well. And something like this came up and, and it was nice to actually see the Victorian government supporting the creative industries uh, because they've really struggled during COVID in terms of getting financial support and that kind of thing and any kind of security. So it was really nice to be able to do that. All the artists got paid, the festivals that got on board, they were really pleased, you know, just sort of inject a bit more money back into the industry and hopefully get us a, a bit more excited for fingers crossed down the track when we can go and do these things again. Oh, it feels like, I mean, it's Groundhog Day for everybody, but, you know, can you see yeah. the music industry getting back to the way it was? Can you see that in the near future or do you think there's going to be a lot of virtual things like you're doing at the moment? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to imagine what's going to happen. I think we've lost a lot of people. There would be a lot of very creative people who just would have given up in the last 12 months you know young people who are coming through i think it's it's it feels like choosing to be a musician or or someone creative is is a is a it's a gutsy choice these days given how quickly you, we've all seen it just crumble um and you know all power to those who have 
the strength to stick it out because it's it's been really tough for a lot of people I think and I've been very lucky I've had loads of work you know so I'm really thankful for that and anything I can do to, to put a bit back in is is the least I can do really because you know we love performers it's what gives us joy it's the reason for being it's it's like sport you know we all get together we community we share an experience and and we're human beings we need that stuff I think to survive it's not just making money and and going to work each day and you know get get eat getting an early night or whatever we need stuff to feed our souls as well Mm -hmm. and and I think we've all realized how important sport music art, creativity, mm-hmm. all of that stuff keeps us going. That's right, whatever brings us together. I mean, if I really, because you are so synonymous with music in you know, our music scene, you've been around it for, God, I remember you were an impress or beat, like, you know, what was that? Yeah. 25 years ago. Um, we don't need to actually date stamp that. But um, I'm, so... I'm happy. So tell me, what was your first concert that you ever went to? Oh, this is hilarious. You're going to love this. Because I grew up in a small country town and and pre-internet there was nothing. Like you couldn't go and find out about your favourite artist. You had to join fan clubs on the back of Smash Hits magazine and uh, (laughs) and watch Countdown. And So there was really limited information and access. And so when I think I was... 15 or 14, I was working at the local news agency in Redcliffe, a small country town up near Mildura, and some friends of mine said, we're going to catch a bus to Adelaide to from Mildura, which is five hours away, to go and see Jimmy Barnes in concert. And I was like, yes. So I caught the bus to a Jimmy Barnes concert in Adelaide and then got on the bus again at like midnight and travelled all the way home for five hours. So we were up. It was my first all nighter. It was my <laughs> it was my first concert. It was like oh god, that was amazing. I, I think <laughs> there's huge cred in that, Miff. I think that's an impressive first concert. What was so? B, what's your first concert ever? Ooh, very hard question without notice. Uh, let me <laughs> you think don't about remember? I tell you what, <laughs> no. mine is so. Yours, Oh, it's so deeply embarrassing. Amy Grant. So nothing. Every move I make. Yeah, oh totally. I was <laughs> But that's I think Jimmy Barnes is way more cred than going to a Christian pop song. Pop but you know Whatever gets you in whatever musical gateway drug is, it doesn't matter. There's no shame. No oh, shame. It blew my mind at the time because I'd never been at the entertainment centre in Melbourne and it was like, I don't know how many people that fit, but it's now the Holden Centre for Collingwood. But you know, like um it was it was a, it was my gateway, absolutely, Miff. Yeah. Do you remember B? Have you come up with anything? Yeah, well, I think it was a John Farnham concert because my dad was obsessed oh. with John Farnham. So I do remember going to one with him, but it was like you know how they used to do them down at like Mornington Racecourse, or they and they still do. But yes. yeah, I remember it was down at Mornington Racecourse, and there he was. And then we used to play it in the car all the time on the way to netball training, and I had to listen to John Farnham. <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't complain because what a great performer! That's awesome. I've never seen John Farnham in concert, so you've got one up Have on you? me. Yeah. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. There you go. No, I even I... saw him recently down in um, at the Haymate that Channel Nine did. And he oh, he's awesome. still amazing, yeah. And you do the two strong hearts thing, you know. Oh, it was big. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> so TikTok dances before TikTok dances. Two strong. Yeah, it's true. 
it's true. So, Miff, can you believe, though, that it was only 18 months ago that you were in the jungle? Like, that's extraordinary oh. to me that the world has changed so much. Oh, it's like that happened to another person as well because I remember the time and it, we all thought, oh, gosh, we've just been isolated for a month. We were there, I was there for about a month, I think, and came back to Australia and, and thought, righto, this, now I can get into life. This is great. But then we all went into um, lockdown <laughs> and then when I got back. So I've spent more time in lockdown in the last year or so than I ever thought I could. But it certainly did prepare me for what lockdown was going to be like because um, I don't know if I, I would have survived it had I not had that experience. But it was extraordinary. It was For me it was transformative, I think. I, I did something I would never normally do and it's not something people would expect me to do. And I learned so much about myself and I met some fabulous people and um, I really cherish that time. What did you learn about yourself? I, well, I think I learned that I can throw myself into things that make me uncomfortable and that I'm, I will survive. Because, you know, like I think, I think when you get a bit older, you get more set in your ways. And look, I'm nearly 50 now, so, you know, I was well and truly settled. And I'd, I'd lost my job at the ABC and I was pretty down about that. And I threw myself into this because I didn't know what else to do or what else I was going to do with my life. And it just it pushed me to think about what I do differently, I think, have more fun with it. Be less concerned about what others think or, you know, what matters is, is your, your experiences and the friends you make along the way and the, and the fun that you share. And, and that gave me so much of that and I didn't expect it. I really didn't, yeah. But, Miv, interestingly, because I lost my job that I loved as well and mm. in radio too. Who would work in radio? Um, but, <laughs> but it really made me realise how comfortable I had been and how fearful I had become of new experiences because I think, do you reckon the older you get, the less you take risks? I think so, and, and that's for a very good reason probably because you've, you've got life things that you have to commit to, mm. mortgages, families, um, ageing parents, all of that stuff. You do tend to, to take less risks. But I found that when I did take this risk, it, it was the reward was extraordinary. And I don't think... You know, m most people probably wouldn't have that opportunity. So I'm very lucky that I got to have that. And it really shook things up. And it also, okay, I, I mean, as awful as it was having no control in there, because you are basically a social experiment, you know, they tell you when to eat and when to sleep and, and all of that. And that's pretty weird. I think that taking away that control from me actually made me relax a bit more about the lack of control that I really have in my life and we all have in our lives, you know, things could end tomorrow in terms of jobs and I, and I guess I'd learned that but it was it was good for me to let a few things slide you know just relax about a few more things not worry so much if things don't work not worry so much if people don't like me you know all of that it was it was a real yeah it was transformative in a way and I'm glad for it because now it's like you know I just I think I go with the flow a lot more and, and it's it's opened up a whole lot more opportunities that I feel have been, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed and it's been fun and, yeah, and that's the point, isn't it, that you mm. enjoy it and that it's fun. Yes, it pays mm. the bills, but that's not the only thing really, I think. 
Absolutely. And I wanted to know with with you and going through the experiences that you did, what like I did the block and I found one of my key coping things was when I was under pressure and we'd stayed up two nights in a row and had no sleep. I would climb up onto the roof, which was highly illegal, and lay down on top of the roof where the cameras couldn't find me and just have 10 minutes out where I could just zone out and be in a meditative state for a little while just to be able to get enough energy to go back down. What, what was your key coping skill when you're under the most pressure in the jungle? Oh, goodness, key coping skill. I think, look, I, I made some great friendships in there that I felt like I could be real with. So even though we're surrounded by cameras, you know, I had beautiful Rhonda Birchmore, who's, you know, a star of stage and screen. And um, I think just being able to connect with a couple of people on a very real level was was lovely you know you just uh, and, and having that having someone in there that you felt had your back that 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 really helped me get through but also uh, uh, we had access to a waterfall which we could go swimming in and then there was moments there where you could just lie on your back and we we're still wearing microphones but it was the most incredible spot um we, it was astounding, actually. And then there was some heavy rains and, and it was just gorgeous. And I think just putting my head in that water and covering my ears and just feeling like I was just alone there on my own, that was my moment. I loved that. Yeah. Well, um, it's, you've just done so much. I'm, I really love your podcast with Zan Romuf. That's a bloody uh-huh. ripper. Um, it's a couple of women just being super clever and, and having a beautiful rapport together. I love that. Um, we're seeing you on Spicks and Specs again as well. So what's next for you? What would you like to do next? Well, I'm writing a book at the moment. So yeah. that's um, interesting. I can't say I'm enjoying the process. <laughs> <laughs> not, you know, the longer you spend on the page, you're like, oh, I'm not good at this. I'm really crap. But then, you know, I think, that, I think that's quite normal for as part of the process. So I'm trying to do that. But also the last six months I've been doing training as a foster carer. So oh. that's going to be um, something that I hope to, to do in the future because I also realizing during during lockdown that you know I've I've got a, a, a house full of mad animals and you know it's it I, I love it here and I, I'd love to be able to share that and, and lend a hand to kids that need it so that's going to be something I've been hoping to do I will I'll, I will be doing in the very near future but yes I've been I've been training doing that and it's been very intense and I've had to face a lot of things and um, you know, it's not easy. It's it's not easy. So it's it's yeah. That again has been a big growth experience for me. Wow, that is truly amazing. I have had a, a tiny tiny smidge of that foster caring training, and I do know that it is a massive thing that you're undertaking, Miff. So um, absolutely commend you for that. Huge celebration yeah. of you and your courage in there. Well, thank you, thank you. I mean, it's not going to be easy, and but hopefully, you know, that's that's something I can offer, and I want to I want to be able to share that. And yeah, COVID really hit that home. You know, mm. I think if you've got if you've got things you can share, then just do it. Yeah, amazing. People need help and love. Well, thank you so much, Miff, for joining us on Broad Radio today. It's uh, just been an absolute delight. We'll have to get you back another time if that's okay. Love to be back. Lovely to talk to you both. And next time you'll have to get Viv on because she is one of my favourite members oh, of the uh, social media. 
<laughs> she's like right all up in my grill whenever I have to do any of these. And she's like, you know, talk to me, feed me. <laughs> she's one of my favourite dogs of the internet. So, um, yeah, next time we'll meet Viv. She thanks, loves that. She thanks, loves that. thanks so much, Miv. Take care. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. And we'll have more Broad Radio after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Broad Radio. Talking info we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Well, this might be a little known fact to you, but in 2020, 182 Australian workers were killed at work. And this year alone in Victoria, 19 workers have died. That's so many families who have lost a husband, a mother, a daughter, someone who has lost their parent or their son. It's so devastating and there are so many, so many people losing very dear people to them. At Broad Radio, we tell the stories of women and because over 90% of the people who are killed at work are men, today we're acknowledging the partners who are left behind. And we are going to meet an extraordinary woman whose husband was killed at work and the lawyer who has worked very closely with her for justice. So we're very pleased to welcome from Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Asmina Hussain, Principal Lawyer, Work Injuries. Asmina, it's lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too, Jo. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Lana Cormie, veterinary doctor and mother of two young children, Sophie and George, and wife of Charlie Halkins. Lana, it is great to have you on Broad Radio. Thanks for having me. Asmina and Lana, there are so many layers to your story, um, but I want to acknowledge that Lana, in everything that I've read about your experience, you've said that you really felt like you didn't have a voice. And so I want to start with your story and with your element to this whole conversation. Um, Can you tell us uh, what you can about the circumstances around Charlie's death? 
Yeah, so Charlie was 34 years old when he was killed at work three years ago. He was working on um, some sewer trenching in Ballarat with his workmate Jack Brownlee, who was also killed that day on the 21st of March 2018. Uh, we don't have a lot of information about what actually happened that day um, and the case is still before the courts. But what I can say is that, you know, life's been very tough ever since and Charlie and my children, Sophie and George, and myself have, I guess, had have, have the rug pulled from under, under us. It's been very challenging. I can imagine that it is an extremely difficult thing to, to pull your life together after such an extreme loss. But you chose in the aftermath of this to work tirelessly for workplace change. Um, why, why is that? Yeah, look, I guess... Um, though early on I had a sort of a moment where I sort of looked to the heavens and thought, no, that's it, I'm, I refuse to become a victim in this um, and let my children become a victim. Um, of course, we had had many challenges, but I suppose in many ways it was the timing of the incident where Charlie and Jack were killed. It came after many, many years of campaigning by other families and the union movement and many others to try and get some change in the legislation around workplace safety. Um, and because uh, our um, incident occurred in the lead up to an election, it provided an opportunity for us to kind of join that voice and to speak up and try and help to make change. And what sorts of change specifically were you fighting for? So at that time, um, the campaign was primarily for workplace manslaughter legislation in Victoria. Um, we have... Um, I guess, been also working for other changes, but that's been the primary um, big one that we were working towards and that came into um, action in on July 1st last year. Asmita, what is so important about that particular legislation, the workplace manslaughter legislation? Yeah, it's um, essentially, it's almost life-changing law. Um, as, as Lana mentioned, the laws came into effect in July of last year. And essentially what it's done is it now means that industrial workplace uh, manslaughter, so workplace manslaughter is now a criminal offence. So employers can now face fines of up to 16 and a half million for companies, but most importantly, individuals can now face uh, jail time of up to 25 years for individuals. Um, and I mean, that's quite significant change because for years, as a workplace injury lawyer, we've been advocating for families to seek justice and to obtain justice. But essentially, those actions that we've brought have been against what's what I'd consider as, as a faceless employer. Employees who have just walked away with maybe a fine against their company entity or a fine against an ABN and not even a slap on the wrist. But now these laws mean that individuals will be held to account uh, and no longer can they just walk away with just a fine. Uh, and families can get some element of justice um, from that process. And Lana, this was particularly important to you because I know the difference between this law and what was previously the case, it really puts the person who has lost their life at the centre of it as well. Yeah, so the way that the OHS laws are designed is that they are designed to prosecute um, on a failure to mitigate a risk in a workplace. Um, the reason for that is because um, the aim is that we don't get to the point where we're losing lives or having serious injuries. 
Unfortunately, most often we don't see the law used in that way. Um, uh, but now we do actually have the one um, part of that legislation which actually acknowledges the outcome of those risks. Um, and to me, that's really important because it, these are real people, real people being killed, real families being affected. And to me, it was the ultimate um, insult for our laws not to even acknowledge that those people existed, that these cases are purely about a failure to mitigate risk and not about a real person or people who have been killed. So that has now changed. It feels as though just an extraordinary thing that you were able to do in the years after losing your beautiful husband and, and to be picking up the pieces for your two children, um, to be going into battle for this massive change of legislation. Um, how, did you, how did you manage that? Well, I guess um, in situations where people are um, experiencing grief and in shock, we all respond really differently and it's a very individual process. Um, but for me, um, it was my way of dealing with the trauma of Charlie's senseless death um, and the anger around that, you know, that we've been failed by a system. And um, I suppose when uh, prior to Charlie's death, I had been blissfully ignorant to the fact that um, our processes and systems were broken. Um, and indeed our laws were insufficient. So once I discovered that that was the case, I guess I really felt that I had an obligation both to Charlie, both to society more generally, to myself, and even more so to my children and the next generation to at least try to do something. Um, I just felt that, you know, one day my children will be at work. One day everyone's children will be at work and they deserve better than this, as we all do. Um, and also they need to have the right to be able to speak up for what is, is right in this world. Um, and in this case, I discovered something that was really wrong. And so to sit back and do nothing, I just felt I couldn't do that. Asmina, how important to the change of this legislation has Lana's work been? Oh, it's been incredible. I mean, even just hearing what she's just said then, the work that Lana's doing now um, has a significant impact on, on everyone, I mean, on our own families. Um, Lana's been a, a tireless advocate for workplace safety and, and um, I don't often speak about my clients in front of them. <laughs> so this is, um, this is a bit, bit different, but um, there's no denying that, I mean, Lana's been a tireless advocate for the, for the development and implementation of these important laws that have, have tightened the way in which um, workplace safety is considered both from an employer and from a worker perspective. Um, Lana single-handedly really has lobbied government uh, and has created this change. And I, I, I remember when I first met Lana, the resilience that she showed uh, and essentially the leadership since then has been incredible. I mean, she's taken this enormous personal tragedy and used her own injustice to do so much good. Um, to redefine the narrative for families and workers for, for years to come. Um, so uh, Lana is doing some great work now, which um, I'll let her speak to, uh, but most certainly me and as a firm at Morris Blackburn want to continue to support that great work, to continue to lobby uh, for change, to, to do our part in creating that cultural change uh, because she has done such incredible work in such a short period of time uh, and, it's, and it's to be commended. And Lana, we will hear in just a moment exactly what more work you are doing and what more change has 
has uh, happened and what still needs to be done. Um, but I do want to ask how critical was it to you to find the right lawyer to represent you and, and lead you through this process? Yeah, look, I think it's, um, it's incredibly important to find the right firm and the right person. Um, first of all, I guess a piece of advice for anyone who unfortunately might find themselves in my situation, um, I would suggest to speak to a few firms and just see who you feel comfortable with and who you trust and feel you can connect with um, because you're going to walk a bit of a journey with them and you want to feel supported um, and know that they are the experts in their field. Um, and also I would suggest that looking to expert firms who do this um, as their bread and butter, um, who are experts in work cover claims and specifically deal with that day in and day out, I would strongly suggest that because if you find the right firm and the right person to deal with that for you, it takes a really big weight off your mind and you've got so much going on that the last thing you need to do is being, be concerned about um, you know, your legal process. So, Asmina, thinking about people who may have experienced their own situations of, of workplace injury, um, what, what, there are many different kinds of workplace injuries, aren't there? Can you just outline what that looks like for us? Yeah, absolutely. There, the definition of injury um, is quite broad. So, of course, it includes things such as a physical injury, um, as you'd know it, or, but as well as that, it includes things such as diseases, um, silicosis, exposure to asbestosis, um, and of course the increasing um, uh, claims around mental health. So whether it's workplace harassment, bullying, being overworked, um, and of course um, deaths in the workplace that include things such as suicide um, or other fatalities. So uh, it is quite broad ranging uh, and we run a busy practice, that's for sure. Do you say that there are people who are tolerating situations now in which perhaps they have been injured or they ha are experiencing mental health injuries uh, that you speak of there and they aren't speaking up? They feel like they're fearful to actually pursue their rights. Absolutely. I mean, workers are afraid to speak up and exercise a workplace right, which fundamentally is a human right. And I mean, there's already a significant power imbalance between employers and workers. And now in a post-COVID era, there's even this greater sense that workers um, feel that power imbalance and that sense that they can't speak up because of fear of losing their job um, and are afraid to raise issues in the workplace or their sense of feeling uncomfortable to comply with shortcuts that employers are directing them to do. Um, but what workers should know and understand is that there are laws to protect workers, both within the workplace injury legislation and within industrial laws as well. And most of all, I can't really stress the importance of collective action and the role that unions can play in really rebalancing that power and standing up for workers. Um, here at Morris Blackburn, we work very closely with all our unions um, in that fight for fair and in that fight for readjusting that that power imbalance that employers think they have. Um, and it's so important that workers, workers understand that they have a voice and that they have a platform to be heard and that they should ensure that they utilise that. So if someone is feeling at the moment that they are, you know, struggling with an injury or, or that they would like some advice, what's their best course of action? Yeah, absolutely. 
workers most certainly should um, seek that advice um, and should not be afraid that they will be reprimanded by their employer uh, because there are laws to protect them. A good starting point is to, is to join a union uh, if you are a member of a union, to speak with your union, and most certainly otherwise, there are firms such as Morris Blackburn um, that can assist even just in providing that advice to know where you stand. Um, knowledge is power, and that's a good starting point. Uh, so certainly go out and get that information knowing that there is no consequences for exercising what is basically a fundamental human right, yeah, your right to feel safe and protected in your place of employment. So Lana, tell us more about what your work is at the moment, what what are you working towards? Um, yeah, so we have seen some positive change um, since we started this process um, and since workplace manslaughter laws were brought in. And one of those um, changes has been the introduction of a workplace incidents consultative committee, which is um, basically providing a legislated committee as a direct voice to the minister, um, which will allow us to hopefully continue and other families to continue to um, bring about positive change and to, I guess, also keep work safe and the government accountable in terms of how that should look and, and make sure that's going in the right direction. Um, so that committee is has just up and running now and I'm a part of that along with um, 14 other members. Um, the other big piece of work that I'm doing at the moment is I've started uh, working in a role um, as part of Be Safe Victoria um, and our, our new organisation is um, basically put in place to train, support um, and promote safety in, the region, in regional Victoria. So we provide training to workers so that they understand their rights and um, know how to speak up, know what their um, legislative rights are and as Asmina mentioned you know, knowledge is power. And I think that's really important to empower our workers in that way. And is there anything that still needs to be done on work sites in workplaces that is not being done to keep people safe? Well, we could talk about that all day. <laughs> Until there's no one dying at work, there'll always be more to do. Um, and certainly workplace manslaughter laws are not a panacea. They are but the tip of the iceberg. Um, there has been much work done historically and um, I guess I also want to acknowledge the work of other affected families and the unions and firms like Morris Blackburn and others who have contributed towards so much change already. Um, but there is a lot more to do. Um, and part of that um, includes um, re re reform within the regulator, so WorkSafe. Um, we, have, we have already had um, an increase in the number of inspectors and investigators in WorkSafe. Um, but we're still yet to see the impact of that change and um, their increase in training and how that will play out in real terms on the ground. Um, we do need to see better quality investigations. We need to see the amount of evidence being put together towards appropriate prosecutions. Um, we need to see um, basically a workplace fatality being treated equally to what we would expect of a road fatality, um, that that uh, workplace be treated as a real crime scene uh, that appropriate evidence be collected, that investigations be really broad and deep, um, and that we, and then that can lead on to what needs to be really meaningful prosecutions. Because without a meaningful prosecution, we can, workplace manslaughter or any of the OHS Act will never represent a real and true deterrent in real terms. So we need real accountability for breaching the Act, and that includes 
whether a death or injury has occurred. And we have to remember that the OHNS Act is a risk-based law. It is designed to prevent injury and death. And we need to start seeing that used to bring prosecutions for people who have not yet killed or injured someone, but have a risk that they have not mitigated. So that's really important to prevent fatalities and injuries. Um, but of course, when one does occur, we need to see the full force of the law brought um, in those cases when appropriate. Um, but certainly um, education is really important. Um, we need to work from the bottom and the top to empower the workers so that they understand what's right and what's wrong, that they know their rights, that they can stand up and speak up um, and that they don't have to work under unsafe conditions and that they shouldn't work under unsafe conditions, that they have that right and that the legislation supports them. And then we need to also see from the top that the employers um, are really taking that seriously. And that's an important role for the new workplace manslaughter legislation is to hopefully bring front of mind to the employers and the board members and those in positions of authority that not only have they always had um, a really important role in legislation to keep their workers safe, now they can be held personally accountable. So we're hoping to see that translate into a much greater focus on the importance of safety in their workplaces. Lana, just finally, you mentioned affected families there and you've been such a loud voice representing them. Have you received um, you know, any kind of feedback from those families? Have you had uh, thanks? Is there a community around uh, affected families that you're a part of? Yeah, absolutely. There is a community and um, both within Victoria and nationally, um, there's a very active group of families um, state and federally, um, who continue to lobby and work to positive change. We've had a Senate inquiry into industrial death, which brought together 17 families from across the country. Um, and those families still continue to work together and to support one another. Um, now we also see a, a committee come together in Victoria, which is bringing families together again. And those that are in the place or that it is their journey to be um, involved in that change, um, it's really fantastic to have that forum um, to work together. Um, but certainly, you know, even outside of those two things, you know, families in general, I find are just so supportive to one another. And when you can reach out and find someone else who knows how it feels, um, it, it gives you an incredible sense of not being so alone. Mm. Well, I think that the whole of Australia is indebted to you, Lana, for the work that you've done to uh, hopefully keep workers much safer when when we go to work. So thank you so much for your time today, Lana, and thank you also as Mina for your time. Thanks. Bianca, it's been gorgeous to spend broad radio with you today. I wanted to raise the Queen's birthday honours, which were announced yesterday. Many, many, many people were recognised for their work in the community and broadly in Australia. And I tell you, two amazing women that caught my eye were both from the netball community, right? Yeah. But not people that you would necessarily know. So firstly, there's uh, Pamela, uh, McPherson 
and well that's actually Stephanie Borkovich and that's Pamela there. Um, both of them are recognised for their decades-long work in the netball community for their various clubs and they've held positions like registrar and umpires and conveners and secretaries and started out as wing attack. <laughs> they were wing attack when they, when they were young and then they, their kids have gone through and now their grandkids and what an amazing impact women like that have on the sport that we now watch that you then go on to play at an elite level. Oh, you're so right. And I love seeing them get recognised. And it's not just about, you know, I guess the celebrities of the world or the people that we know and hear of all the time. It's the people that are on the ground doing all the hard work and who are there and dedicate their whole life to netball clubs. And, you know, there's a lady in that I know that stands out. Um, Liz Upton is her name. And she has volunteered for Melbourne for as long as I know, before I even started playing, she was she still is there today when I now go to the games and commentate. And she volunteers and she, her job is to basically make sure that we know exactly where we need to go as athletes. She also does work at her own community club, but she gives up every single weekend to be a part of a sport that I think gives her so much connection. Um, and she just loves it. And I love seeing her smiling face courtside uh, whenever I'm around the netball now. Um, but I think it's these true, genuine champions of the game that are allow us to be elite athletes and allow us to go out there and play the sport and do well at it. Because we've got these people that are looking after us mm -hmm. and always caring for us. And um, yeah, I really think they're the, they're the heart of any community, uh, these volunteers in any sporting organization um, and they do everything like you said they have to be treasurer and they have to run the canteen and they have to umpire and they have to coach and play and do everything uh, and I noticed as well that Stephanie um, also she's from Newcastle and she does a lot with um, disability so people with disabilities so getting young girls and young boys out there and just letting them know that it's a game for all and that it's mm. something that everyone can enjoy as well. Oh, that's absolutely critical because access for everyone is so important. So, yeah, we love that those two women were recognised <laughs> in the Queen's Birthday Honours. Also, very exciting to see a couple of great legends from AFLW who were also recognised. We've got Beck Goddard and Erin Phillips. And, you know, it was a pretty good uh, Queen's Birthday. I think that the gender split was about 44% for women on that list, which is a huge uh, improvement from previous years, although not 50-50. You would parity there. <laughs> so, anyway. And also the great Neil Danaher, mm. uh, he also got an Order of Australia medal. And I just think it's incredible. Like he yeah. did, has done so much and so selfless and what he's given to the fight MND cause too. So it was great to see him on it. Yeah, yeah, that was absolutely wonderful. Hey, just a couple of things to wrap up. We were talking earlier in the show, what was your first concert? You said mm -hmm. John Farnham, which yes. is very good. I said Amy Grant with great shame, although lovely uh, Chloe on our Facebook said she loved Amy Grant. So maybe I shouldn't be embarrassed by that. But uh, So we had um, from our producer row here, uh, MC Hammer. Yeah. Oh. MC Hammer at Rod Laver Arena. <laughs> and I have never lived that one down. MC Hammer's a bloody ripper. And then we've got Lillian on Facebook. She said her dad took her to see Kenny Rogers when she was 12. Oh. He's pretty yeah. cool. And then Sess, our other producer out there, and she's in the workroom out there. <laughs> she said Rat Cat. Right, at the Metro, which is great. And then three times in our chat, she said, I still love Rat Cat. I know. I've I still love Rat Cat. It's okay, sis. We know you still love Rat Cat. We get it. We get it. 
<laughs> oh, such great memories. People need to let us know whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, what was their first concert they went to. Absolutely. It's the best. I love that whole conversation. Well, oh, <laughs> B, it's fantastic to see you again on Broad Radio. Thanks for uh, spending the last hour with me. Oh, I've loved it. Thanks for having me again. Okay, we'll see you all next week on Broad Radio. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.